the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. And mine ears said the Lord of hosts, Of a truth many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an effort. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, they may follow strong drink, that continue until night till wine inflame them, and the harp and the viol, the tabret, the pipe and wine are in their feast. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore my people are going into captivity, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall, mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humble. And the eyes of the lofty shall be humble. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as it were with a cart rope, that say, Let him make speed, and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Let's 
stop reading with verse 24. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we bow before you, I want to thank you and praise you for another opportunity to preach the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would empower me with the Spirit of God. I can do nothing without you. Forgive me, Lord, of every sin. Wash me clean in the blood of Christ. And just speak to your hearts today. Lord, you know the need of every heart. You know my own need. And I pray, O oh God, that you'd work in this congregation today and speak to us through your Word and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a new president now, and uh, soon, is, I, I don't know when it is, maybe it's this week, uh, President Bush will be uh, giving a State of the Union address uh, to Congress, to a joint session of Congress, and to the nation. And generally, uh, this speech is generally uh, how good things are. That's uh, generally the, uh, the context uh, of the speech. But uh, I want to speak to you today on God's State of the Union address. God's view uh, of Israel here and uh, how it applies to America. We find uh, six times in this chapter God pronounces woe or judgment. In verse 8, verse 11, verse 18, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, we find God's judgment is pronounced upon the nation of Israel there, and particularly Judah, and as impending judgment uh, is coming upon them. Now he uh, compares them to a vineyard of uh, cleaning off a field and taking the rocks out and building a fence around it, doing everything really that you're supposed to do to have a good vineyard. And uh, instead of it bringing forth good grapes, it brings forth wild grapes. So uh, what happens? Well, he simply uh, tears down the wall and, and uh, leaves the vineyard. Uh, why go to all the effort? Why do all the work uh, when you don't get anything for the work, for the effort? It's like planting an orchard and uh, the trees never have any fruit on them. After a while, you'd uh, no point in fertilizing, no point in cultivating, just let it go. And this is what happened here, and he uses this comparison to speak to the nation and to the people. And we have, uh, as I said, six woes of judgment in these verses. <coughs> the, the first thing uh, he, uh, he brings against them is because of their seeking of domination. In verse 8, Woe unto them that join house to house, that, they, uh, that lay field to field, till there be no place, they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Covetousness is certainly a national sin of America. And I think it has ruined America spiritually. I think the desire for money and, and uh, for what money can buy has, uh, has become the, the central focus in people's minds and has become a god of the American people. Everything seems to be uh, based on this, money, making money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money itself. 
The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. But he said the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's no way you can lust after money and serve God. And when you lust after money, the Bible said it brings sorrow. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now this had happened to Israel. They had forgotten God. And uh, they had erred from the faith. And their, their, their desire and their love was for wealth and what money could buy for them. And God pronounces a woe upon them because of this. They join house to house, field to field. There be no place that they be placed alone in the earth. You know, there is a trend in America to do away with the middle class. Well, you have nothing but the very rich and the very poor. This is, you find this situation in Mexico. In Mexico, you have wealthy people, and then the, ma the masses of the people are poor. The, most of the taxes in America are paid by the middle class, you. Everyday working people that work on a job. The rich don't pay the taxes. And of course the poor don't. The government keeps them up. And so there is, there is that trend. And, and uh, we see this. I think of what's happened to the farm. To the family farm. The little farmer just can't make it. Most of the farms are owned by the big corporations. Uh, and uh, we see God's woe because of this. Now he goes on and we see the result which would be desolation. And verse 9 he says of a truth many houses shall be desolate and uh, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath or eight gallons. Now this is not much. I mean ten acres you got 10 acres of vineyard or grapes and you get 8 gallons of juice off of 10 acres. Not much, is it? We find judgment has come. And the seed of a homer shall yield an ephod. Now, homer was 86 gallons and an ephod was a bushel and three pints. So they plant 86 gallons of seed and reap a little over a bushel from all that seed that was sown. The judgment of God. Uh, thanking God for the rain. You know, if we don't have some substantial rain uh, soon, we're going to be in trouble. Brother McKinney back there had to dig a well after all these years. And he's one of hundreds. We're in trouble. And I believe that we're in trouble because of our sin. I believe that. You can't, you can't, since the Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court, there's been over 25 million babies have been murdered in American abortion mills. 
You realize there's been more killed by abortion in America than has been killed in all of America's wars put together. All of them. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the two world wars, Korea, Vietnam, all of them put together. There's more killed in, in abortion than has been killed in all the wars put together. Many more. We're in trouble, I believe, as a nation. I don't believe any nation can commit that kind of sin and escape the judgment of God. And God, if God judges Israel, then surely God will judge America. We read in the book of Revelation chapter 6 there where it talks about a measure of wheat for a penny or a quart of wheat for a day's work. If you'll study that out and compare it with Scripture, which means that a bushel of wheat would cost about $800 for a bushel of wheat. So their desire for domination, their covetousness brought disaster. It brought the judgment of God. You know, we don't realize and the people of America don't realize that everything is dependent upon God. If God shuts up the windows of heaven... I wonder how long the factories will stay open. We need God, folks, and we need to recognize that. The second woe is in verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and uh, and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Does this sound like our country? God said, I'm going to judge you because of your covetous attitude, because of your desire to dominate the earth. I'm going to judge you because of your drunkenness. Franklin D. Roosevelt is considered to be one of the greatest presidents that the United States of America ever had. He was elected as president four times before they passed a law that you could only serve two terms. But I think Franklin Roosevelt did more to bring the judgment of God upon America than any previous president before him. Franklin Roosevelt was responsible for abolishing prohibition. He was also responsible for, uh, for putting this nation on a path toward deficit spending. And of course, under President Reagan, we have had the greatest deficits in history. And uh, the president since him, of course, have continued the trend for the most part both Republican and Democratic uh, presidents. Do you realize that every, I understand that, uh, of course, he died a tragic death, but every child of Franklin Roosevelt's home was broken by divorce. President Kennedy was the first president to put a bar in the White House. And we see all the tragedy that's befallen his family. And that particular family, his father made his millions off of the liquor business. That's where the Kennedy family got rich. And their family has had nothing but disaster and judgment 
cause of it. Drunkenness is a plague and a scourge of America. Now we have a lot of campaigning against cigarette smoking and I'm against cigarette smoking. I used to smoke. And uh, it, it brings kid, uh, uh, causes cancer and other diseases. And uh, anything that does that certainly is not good for you. And, uh, but they have all this campaigning against, against uh, smoking. Why don't they campaign against the liquor business? That's what I say. There's more kill, there's more damage, there's more heartache and suffering caused by liquor, by alcohol, than's ever been caused by smoking. But you don't hear much about it. You know why? Because of the money, the dollar, the drunkenness. Let me give you some statistics on this matter of, of uh, drinking. There are 118 million drivers and 85 million drinkers on our highways. Now think of that. We wonder about all the traffic accidents. And I'll tell you, it just, it just makes my blood boil. You just pick up the paper or hear on the news and, and uh, here's another one that's been killed because of a drunk. I don't have any sympathy a man that gets drunk and gets in a car and kills someone by, with that automobile, I think you ought to die for it. I have no sympathy for it. 85 million of 118 are drinkers. The drinkers are responsible for at least 55% of the fatal accidents. Every year, Americans consume 275 million gallons of hard liquor. 1,600 million gallons of beer and 170 million gallons of wine. One out of 16 drinkers becomes an alcoholic. God said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 23 says, Look not on the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth its separate right. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. God says, Stay away from it. When it's bubbly, when it's fermented, when it's alcoholic, have nothing to do with it. Something that, that, that uh, gets to me is, when, is some, when some so-called preacher will get up and try to justify drinking and say it's all right to drink uh, as long as you uh, don't get drunk, as long as you do it in temperance. It's all right to drink. God never condemned drinking. I don't call a man like that a preacher. If it's all right to drink a little bit, it's all right to commit a little bit of adultery, it's all right to kill a little bit, it's all right to steal a little bit, as long as you don't do too much of it. That kind of reason just doesn't make sense. The Bible, nowhere in the Word of God does the Bible approve of alcoholic drinking. 
nowhere. You can't show me anywhere in the Word of God that God approves of it. You say, Paul told Timothy, drink, uh, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. That was not alcoholic. Let me give you some more statistics. You think America's hard on, on uh, drinkers? Listen to this. America is usually, uh, is really pretty soft in the handling of the drunk driving problem. In Finland, drunk drivers who are apprehended face an automatic one-year sentence in hard labor. I mean, if you caught driving drunk in Finland, you go, to, you go to jail for a year. In Turkey, drunk drivers are driven 20 miles out of town and forced to walk back. In France, drunk drivers get one year in jail, a $1,000 fine, and a mandatory three-year license suspension. And you certainly wouldn't say that France is a Christian nation. In Australia, the names of drunk drivers are published in the local newspapers under drunk and in jail. In Russia, a drunk driver's license is revoked for life. And they're a drunken nation. In Bulgaria, a second conviction carries a penalty of death. In El Salvador, the first offense brings execution by firing squad. I'll guarantee you, they don't have a problem with it. Statistics show that more than 10,000 annually are killed by liquor while only one is killed by a mad dog, we shoot the mad dog but license liquor. How odd. Drunkenness is a sin that brings the judgment of God. He goes on and he says, because of, uh, uh, of the sin of drunkenness, he talks about... Uh, the drought, in verse 13, my people are going to captivity, and they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished, their multitude dried up with thirst. Drunkenness here brought the judgment of God upon Israel. It brought drought upon Israel. I was listening to a tape that Miss Johnson let me have of this preacher. Finally got to listen to him. And... Uh, he talks about the, the land of Israel there and the drought. For 2,000 years, nothing would grow in that land. He, he, he traces it from, uh, from God's judgment right on down different periods of time. And I believe it was when the Turks had it. He, he said there was a 400-year period and they offered a reward for anybody that could grow a tree. And he said in 400 years, they couldn't get a tree to grow in Israel. That land was so barren. When I was there, I was there, how long has it been? 18, 18, 19 years ago, a good while now. And of course they'd started planting the trees and all, but there was still a lot of barren, rocky land. And they tell me that before Israel became a nation, that there was nothing, it was nothing but just rocks and sand 
weeds will not even grow. The people that had that land, they had to shift the food in. No, no food would grow in that land because of the judgment of God. Israel became a nation. 1948, was it May 15th, 1948? At 4 o'clock, at 5 o'clock it started to rain. And it rained for 30 days. And it's rained since. And he said that last year, while the rest of the world, this drought is worldwide. While the rest of the world is, is experiencing a drought, They've had more rain in Israel than anywhere than they've ever had. And he said the hills that used to be barren are, are blooming. There's grass, there's flowers blooming everywhere. And you'll find in the last part of this chapter he talks about God's restoration. But God said they'll be dried up with thirst. Your, your covetousness your drunkenness, your pardon has brought the wrath of God upon you and for 2,000 years God withheld the rain. And he goes on and said, Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Hell has had to enlarge herself because of all the drunks going to hell and the Bible is very clear in the fact that drunkards go to hell. The sin of drunkenness. Then, the third woe in verse 18. We have woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope. Say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. We have derision here, defiance mockery and scorn. Proverbs 14 verse 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin. We live in a day when sin's laughed at. A nation where these TV personalities and the talk show hosts, they laugh at sin. Sin's a joke. It's a big joke. We don't realize the seriousness of sin. God said a man's a fool when he mocks a sin. I preached on last week on the awfulness of sin and how terrible sin is before a holy God. We have lost the, the realization of how awful sin is. He crucified the Son of God. The only perfect man that ever lived was nailed to a cross because of man's sin. They draw nickel with the cords of vanity. There's no seriousness. Their sin's a laughing matter. It's a joke. And they say, let us see what God will do. Let him hasten his work. We may see it. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because God does not bring judgment the next day, man thinks he's getting by. But man will not get by. 
God does judge sin. Then we have the fourth woe. In verse 21, to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, as sweet far bitter. Deception here. Calling evil good and good evil. Darkness for light, light for darkness. We change our definition. Things that used to be wrong in our parents' day is accepted today. We talk about the good old days. Well, they were good in one way and they were not so good in another way. Let me say this. If it was wrong for your mother to do it, it's wrong for you to do it. And if it's not wrong for you to do it, it wasn't wrong for them. God has not changed His Word. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Well, they're called black, black, and white, white. But we have changed our definition. I talked to you about the abortion. In 15 years since abortion became legal, 22 million, now it's 25, understand, unborn children have been removed from the womb. The number of babies aborted since 1972 is more than the combined population of 14 states. Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming. Fourteen states. There have been more babies killed than the population of these 14 states in these few years. For 200 years of American history, it was wrong to kill a baby, born or in the mother's womb. And now it's suddenly all right, called an evil good and good evil. Let me share this with you. So much I could share with you on this line. One million teenagers become pregnant every year. Two and a half million young people under 20 contact sexually transmitted diseases each year. AIDS seems to be a disease of youth since one-fifth of the people with AIDS are in their 20s. A degeneration, degeneracy of morality in the United States is shown by the fact that young people show no restraint towards sex. More than half of the teens in the United States admit that they have had sex by the age of 17. Three out of every 10 between ages 12 and 17 have had sex. the trend of America. People shacking up together without being married. We used to call it shacking up. Now it's having an affair. We used to call it adultery. Now it's, it's having an affair. They used to be called queers. Now they're gay. They're alcoholics now. They used to be drunks. Changing the terminology will not change the blackness of the sin in the sight of God. God says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. I wonder, I, I wonder how many preachers that are standing behind the pulpit today have the woe of God on them, calling evil good and good evil. I believe a lot of the blame of the looseness of the morals in America could be laid at the feet of the preacher. There was a time when church people set the standard. 
There was a time when the man of God and the, and the preacher's family set the standard in the way they conducted themselves and the way they dressed and the places they went and so forth. I know preachers right now, they'll get up and they'll scream and holler about how to live. Some are pretty popular preachers. And their wife and their children run around like a bunch of harlots, dressed, scantily dressed, where the eyes of the world can lust. I don't have any time to listen to a preacher like that. I don't care how popular they are. Woe to them that called evil good and good evil. Darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God says judgment is coming because of the deception uh, of the land. Then we have the fifth woe in verse 20, or verse 21 rather. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. We have delusion here. Wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Romans 1, says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I wonder how many of the young man's faith has been wrecked by some of the seminaries that's supposed to be educating a man to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know a preacher that went to, uh, uh, well, I can't say it, Fruitland, Fruitland Bible College, and he graduated from, our, from there. And so he wanted to, further education, so he enrolled at Wake Forest University, which is a Southern Baptist college. And he went two weeks, and he quit. He said, a man would come out of there an infidel. I wonder what kind of preacher you think is going to come out of Wake Forest College. He's going to come out of there with, with all kinds of... He's, first of all, he's going to come out of there with no morals... And he's going to come out of there with all kinds of questions. He won't know whether the Bible is the Word of God or not. And let me say that. Let me just go a step farther. You can go to most of the independent colleges. And if you believe what they tell you, you won't know whether this is God's Word or not. And I know whereof I speak. I'm not just talking in the air. And that's a tragedy. Wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Ever learning. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm not against education. We've got a Christian school here. We believe in education. But you're better off without an education than to have the wrong education. If I... If I was going to go to a college for Bible training, I could list on one hand, I won't need the whole hand probably, to list the schools that I'd recommend for a young man to go. 
in the whole United States of America. Now, there may be more I don't know about. But there's not many I'd recommend a person go to. Years ago, preachers did not have the advantage of maybe going to Bible college. But they got the job done. They, they had neology. They, they spent time with God and time in the Word of God and they believed the Bible is the Word of God and they believed what they preached and, and they, they, they had some faith and God honored their ministry. Now we're educated. Now we've got all of our degrees and everybody you see is doctor, doctor, this preacher's a doctor, doctor this and doctor that. And if you're not a doctor, you're not anything. Well, I could have a doctor's degree before next Sunday. You know, oh, I mean, they're, they're available. Just send so much money and they'll send you one. <laughs> you put a doctor on your name. Deception. Wise in their own eyes. Deluded. Prudent in their own sight. We come to the sixth woe. Verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for a reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. There's a proverb that says it's not for kings to drink wine. A man's a president or an official of our government, he oughtn't to drink. Now I realize most of them do drink. Don't make it right. We've had a big issue with this John Tower, you know. They say he's nothing but a drunk and a, a whoremonger. And I tend to believe it. And if that be true, I don't think he ought to serve. But defraud. They mingle strong drink and they justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Our judicial system is a joke. We talk about the law enforcement. If, if I was involved in law enforcement, I would be discouraged. I mean, you, you arrest this person, they're, they're, they're called in the very act, or maybe there's witnesses and they're guilty, no doubt about it, guilty. And they bring them before the judge and he turns them loose because of some technicality. I think they'll take that judge out and hang him. If a man's guilty, he ought to, I, I certainly don't believe a person ought to be accused, uh, uh, you know, unless they're guilty. They oughtn't have to pay unless they're guilty. They say you're innocent until you're proven guilty, but once proof is established, well, you left out one, when you were reading the rights, you left out one word, turn him loose. <laughs> I'll tell you, in the tribulation period, the Bible said a state of lawlessness would exist because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I think we're, the preparation for that is being made. Those in authority are, are justifying the wicked, taking away the righteousness of the righteous from him. The innocent is guilty and the guilt is innocent. And they'll mark like, like this Bundy fellow. 
if they, if they couldn't find anyone else to pull the handle, come and get me. I'll pull it. And I mean that. And I'd sleep good tonight. Of course, I've never done it. Maybe I shouldn't say that. It might be different if I had to do it, I guess. But, but I, what I'm saying is I would not feel guilty about it. I would not be doing wrong. I would be perfectly right before God. And when the state of Florida executed that rascal, they were perfectly right before God. They did no wrong. A man that confessed, they, they said he was guilty probably of 30-some murders that got brutally killed and murdered. He confessed to, before they executed him to over 20-some murders. And then there's an outfit out there carrying candles, you know, wanting them to turn him loose. Why don't they carry candles? Why don't they carry candles for, for the innocent, for those, those young ladies that were murdered? Why don't, why don't someone think about their rights? Justifying the wicked for the Lord. If you've got money, you can get out of about anything. Or if you know the right people. And they take away the righteousness. They don't think about the person that's been murdered. And then we have a final judgment in verse 24. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel despite far the Word of God was the final thing that God lists here. They despise the Word of God. What have we done as a nation? We throwed the Word of God out. You can't have it in school. Not even the Gideons. Right here in McDowell Camp, we talk about... Well, you know, the schools are bad. They're bad in New York and Atlanta, but here in McDowell County, we've got a good Christian school. But they won't even allow the Gideons to, to hand out New Testaments right here. When I was in public school, every day the teacher read some read some verses and pray as in public school. I had a sixth grade teacher that did that every day. Her husband was a preacher. She can't, I don't know, she, she may be dead or retired or whatever by now, but she can't do that now. That's illegal. Let's banish the word of God. Let's throw out God's word. We don't need God anymore. All we need is money, jobs. You know how a president gets elected? You know what he talks about? Money. Basically, that's it. 
If he don't talk about money, he can't get elected. Because that's people's gods. That's their god. They're not interested in the world, what's happening somewhere else, and not interested in those things, or that's below the top of the list. Money. What are you going to? What are you going to give us? What's the government going to give me? How much money are you going to give me? Money, power, drunkenness, all these things. We don't need God's word. And then, all that, most of the churches have thrown out the Bible. You go to the average church today, you don't hear a Bible message. You hear a little social gospel. Have a little counseling session. Everybody you see now, you know, everybody you see is, uh, uh, you know, they, they've got to have counseling. They have despised the word of God. God judged his people because of it. If God judged his own people, what will he do to us? Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. What happened to Israel? They rejected Jesus Christ. And God said, okay, if you don't want it, I'll turn to the Gentiles. And he did. And thank God, our forefathers accepted it. They said, we'll take it. The Jews don't want Jesus. We'll accept him. 2,000 years. The gospel has been going to the Gentiles. For 200 years, America, I believe America, has been the nation that God has used to get the gospel out. Most of the mission program comes from America. And by the way, not only the United States of America, but what they call the Bible Belt. The biggest part of the mission activity is carried on North, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, uh, Virginia, Tennessee, this kind of Southeast, Florida. You talk to missionaries. Find where they get the support from. They, they're not in Minnesota and California and New York raising support. They're right, no matter where they come from, they're right in this area. And most of the mission activity that's carried on the world is carried on from this part of the world, right here. And I believe this is one reason God spared America. But you know what I see? I see a withdrawal of a hand of God from America. They tell me in some countries of thousands of people being saved. In Korea and some other countries, thousands of folks are getting saved. I've read reports. I, I was reading just, just uh, last night, I think it was. I, I mentioned the 10%, and this article said only 2% of the population of England go to church anywhere. Two percent. We're sending missionaries to England now. 
And that's happened in just a few years. What's going to happen to America? If we don't come back to God and get our minds and eyes off of material things, we're headed for disaster. Not a very rosy picture, is it? But this is telling it like it is. This is not a political speech. This is not a popularity speech. I'm not running for anything. See, I tell it like it is. Let's bow our heads, please.